Good morning, loves, and welcome to the Self-Healing Podcast, a podcast helping you thrive through your healing journey. I am Lue, and I'm your guide through this journey. Follow me on Instagram on L-L-A-L-A-L-O-E to get daily affirmations, meditations, DIYs, body positivity, and so much more. Today's episode will be about selective photographic memory and all the other stuff I got from trauma. Enjoy! Here it's calling again, life falls through my face. But first, today I just wanted to give a really big shout out to the people who are 60 plus and are listening to the Self Healing Podcast. Thank you so much for the honor and also for proving to the younger community that it is never too late to heal. No matter what stage you are in, or no matter where you are in life, or how long ago this healing needed to take place, it is never too late. And the second version of our life begins the day that we recognize that. So you guys are really pumping me up today. You totally made my day. Thank you. Okay, so... Yeah, trauma isn't great, but... What about all the positive stuff that we get from it? When repressing the trauma or when you are at the beginning of the healing, that may not be anything yet, but when healing or rather when more healed, you start getting the more positive things that you find that you have developed because of the trauma. While listening to this episode, strongly ease into that and think about all the things that your trauma led to. And count the positive stuff. One of the most healing things we can do is to support ourselves by thinking of what has happened in a courageously positive way. I also here want to say that after telling you guys about how the average person gets PTSD from three events during their lifetime, that part didn't quite leave my mind. And I was like, yeah, well, I have the reading teacher thing and Anna's suicide attempt. That is two things that I most definitely have PTSD from. But that means that I most likely have one more event that will happen in my life that will be horrible. And three days later, I remembered my parents' divorce and all the blanks that I still have from that. And yay, I think that I made my three PTSD events already. Hopefully, at least. Who knows? Maybe I will get five or maybe I have already done my share. And I am continuously deciding that I am going to choose the latest option. I have decided that the rest of my life will be peaceful and blissful and that I am done with having this type of events happening. Only good stuff from now on. Well, mindset at least hopefully plays a small part of it. And that is what I am trying to say. The mindset we choose regarding the traumas will be the foundation for the life that we unconsciously manifest. So I am going with peaceful and blissful and whatever comes my way, I will be able to handle it. That is the mindset I choose. So, back to what I got from the traumas. Anna's suicide attempt. One. I got hell of a lot stronger and learned just how strong I am. Two. I got more restrictive with how much energy I put into doing quote-unquote 
the right thing and started to a greater extent do what I thought was the right thing. 3. I realize that I am truly on my own in many aspects of this world, and that is scary, yeah, but I also found an enormous strength in that as well. It is fine, because I've got me, and I have to be my best friend no matter what. And that is kind of beautiful. From my parents' divorce. 1. I am now committed as hell to my future and making a life for myself that I truly want to wake up to. 2. I have learned to trust no one, and that is a really bad thing in fact, but as I am really trusting by nature, that is also a good lesson for me, and the more I heal, the more I can trust people to a certain degree, and that is way healthier than to trust anyone or no one at all. 3. I am independent as fuck, and I will let no other person choose my destiny. That I will choose for myself. These two events combined with a lot of more stuff also gave me my two burnouts slash exhaustion syndromes. Becoming a burnout not only once but twice sucked. It truly did. But never have I ever gotten more invasive life lessons than while being a burnout. The first burnout. These will be some harshly generalized hard truths to hear, but here we go. 1. I will now generalize people into two categories. People either want something from you, or people want you for you. Cut the former out of your life and spend your energy on the later. 2. Don't trust people who says that they want the best for you. Trust their actions. 3. Don't engage in things that you are not comfortable with, because people won't care how you feel, but you will suffer the consequences, the overthinking and the hormonal imbalance that creates in your system for days. 4. You don't owe anyone shit, just because you have previously been kind enough to provide them with what they want and need. If they get mad when you prioritize your own needs while having to save energy, let them be mad. And after my second burnout, here I have to say my second burnout is by far the most important thing that has ever happened to me. It has also in many ways been the most painful. Oh yeah, did you know that you most often get PTSD from becoming a burnout too? Well, now it's five. In some ways, I want to beg the universe to not throw any more of these PTSD-creating events my way. In some ways, I know I need to command not letting these events into my space, like in manifestation that I am still a real beginner at. And in some ways, I feel intuitively that I trust the process and whatever comes my way will do so for a reason. Hmm... Anyways, my second burnout gave me my healing journey. I hadn't been healing before in my life. I had repressed the stuff that happened and kept moving forward, just packing on weight on my shoulders and growing stronger for every new thing that I had to carry, but completely without taking the time to work through the really bad stuff that happened. The smaller stuff I worked through directly though, as dealing with those things was easier. 
The second burnout gave me my spiritual awakening. And once you understand that you can control your thoughts and mind and how to do it, everything in your reality shifts. You can't go back to the narrow point of view that you had before. If you have had a spiritual awakening, you will know exactly what I mean. And you won't ever want to go back, and that is the coolest thing about it. I am extremely grateful that I got to have this experience and for getting to have this new life that the spiritual awakening and my healing journey gave me. I really wish that I got to have it like 10 years ago, but I also get that 22 turning 23 was the right time in my timeline. The second burnout also gave me myself back. Since being 12, I had just been derailing away from my intuition, away from my natural body and my natural balanced state. Between 13 and 22, I did everything society expected from me. I shaved, I got skinny, I got a lot of EDs, I bleached my hair beachy blonde and curled it into beachy waves. I put on makeup and nail polish, I dressed in the latest fashion and I learned to behave like the girl or woman I was told to behave like. But after the second burnout, I am done. And that is the most freeing feeling. I am done. I am done shaving when I don't want to shave. I am done starving myself for one more minute ever, ever again. I still like to bleach the ends of my hair from time to time because I like how it looks. But I also love my natural, healthy hair. And that is more important to me now than the opinions of others or having beachy waves. I am now the waves hitting the shore more than I am the perfectly edited girl on the beach. I put on makeup or nail polish when I want to, and most of the time I don't want to. And I usually want to be in comfortable, bright, free, 70s inspired clothes. I don't want to keep up with the latest fashion. I want to wear whatever I like in the moment. I want to wear flares, tie-dyes, crop tops, bohemian caftans and flowy pants with seashell jewelry and golden details. I want to wear all that I am on the inside, on the outside. I want to be me, for me. So that shift is an amazing experience. And most of all, my second burnout gave me my near-death experience. Most people don't survive a third burnout, and during the summer until I crashed in July 2020, I had these episodes of feeling like I was dying. Like I was having a heart attack any minute, or a full-on deadly stroke. I knew how close my body was to its absolute limits. And I am so extremely thankful for my body becoming a burnout again before I died from a heart attack or a stroke or organ failure or any other of the things that extreme stress leads to. Because it saved me. Because I got to live, I got another chance. And I wouldn't have saved myself. Every day I woke up and chose to save everyone else besides myself until I got to a point of dropping dead, but my burnout saved me by keeping me still. Let's make it into a metaphor. Let's say that I was running a race 
and didn't see the car that was surely about to run me over. But someone who saw me getting closer to being hit by the car screamed at me to stop running towards it, but I didn't hear them, so after screaming a few more times, they shot me in the foot, because that way I would be damaged enough to not be able to keep running towards death, but I also would be less damaged than if I was run over by the car. That is kind of what my body did. And from that moment, I understood how awful I had been to myself and my body. How much stress and pressure does it take for your body to shoot itself in the foot? How much stress and pressure does it take for your body to go into a complete burnout for the second time in five years? So yeah, I had been treating my body awfully. Sure, a lot of it is coping strategies and such, but I never fully understood the value of my life until it was on the verge of being taken away from me. So what my near-death experience gave me was that I finally understood that I am done with everything that I had previously lived for. And I had to rebuild myself from scratch. I am done living for anyone but myself. This is my life and I will no longer be the perfect granddaughter, friend, daughter, partner and so on. I will be me and who I should have been all along. I will no longer be giving all my energy away to other people. I will no longer people please or strive for perfection. I will no longer provide people with all of the things that I need for myself and expect nothing in return. I will no longer be the person everyone needs, wants or expects me to be. I will be whoever I needed and wanted all along. I will be loving myself for who I am and all that I am and loving the life that I am creating for myself. I will be me. And from now on, I will be nothing but me. And I really do wish that for you too. And people will get mad. But you know what? Screw them. Let them be mad. That says a lot more about them than it says about you. And finally, here comes the stuff that I got from being abused by my reading teacher. I got selective photographic memory, even called eidetic memory. And that was also part of me remembering my trauma altogether. It all actually started with me thinking, why did that happen? What was so special about my situation that I, against the odds, developed this? Selective photographic memory is being able to recall specific memories, pictures or things like the page from a book pretty much in detail. It seems that photographic memory is very seldom developed, but selective photographic memory can be developed under really specific conditions. People who have dyslexia in combination with having really academic occupations are one of few. In this situation, the selective photographic memory starts to develop between the ages of 40 and 55, most often. 
most often in men statistically. But that is also because looking back, there have been more men allowed on highly academic positions than women. So why did I, as a 17-year-old girl, develop it? I have been asking myself that question ever since. I think that HSP, along with being a synesthete, is most definitely part of the explanation. And if you know a lot about the tools, that is probably starting to make sense. I am a hypersensitive individual. Actually, 100%, as I have the maximum amount of all of the traits and therefore all of the genes that creates the HSP trait. People like me are less than 1% of the world's population. That is pretty cool, but that also explains how lonely my type of people feels. Hmm. It is what it is. I've stumbled upon eight so-called hundreds during my 24 years on this earth. Being a genetic 100% HSP means that you are probably a synesthete, as well as have all the HSP traits, some of which are a really detailed memory, fast learning skills, and can kind of drug yourself with adrenaline by switching your fight-and-flight response on and off, making you perform better. For anyone who is confused by how this works, if you can imagine something in enough detail while also having a really fast responding nervous system, which HSPs has, in combination with feeling things more deeply both emotionally and physically due to more sensitive nerve endings as highly sensitives can and have, especially hypersensitives, then your body will react to your imagination or your memory as it would if it happened in reality. So if you think about being chased by a lion, you will start the fight and flight response and by that boost yourself with adrenaline, making you perform better, as that sharpens your senses and boosts your brain's capacity of thinking and learning fast for survival. HSPs usually stumble upon this phenomenon in childhood and learn to use it to do better on tests or while playing music or playing sports. And that is also why so many athletes are highly sensitive. It's a natural way of doping. That is also why HSPs have been evolutionary beneficial for the species as leaders and caretakers of the groups, herds and tribes. A leader or caretaker that can dope itself whenever it is needed for the group's survival is great for keeping the group alive. A leader or caretaker that needs to keep leading or helping its group won't feel its own wounds while treating the group's wounds or leading the group into safety while actively doping itself. So yeah, that is the slightly longer explanation. Anyways, that skill definitely helps and being a synesthete I also had an easier time connecting senses and relearn stuff. So being highly sensitive in combination with being a synesthete definitely increased my chances of developing selective photographic memory. But I didn't feel like that was explanation enough to why or how I developed it. So I searched for an answer until my trauma download and now it all starts to make perfect sense. 
I had to memorize all of the words that I had to read in my reading classes in order and then just pretend that I was reading it and was not just repeating it from memory, because otherwise I would get abused. I had to, every day that I went into that room, dope myself with adrenaline to get through it. Because what she asked of me, I simply could not do with dyslexia. So I had to come up with another way to solve the problem. And that solution was to go straight into fight-or-flight response, getting adrenaline pumping in all my body to boost my learning skills, to boost my memory, to boost my chances of survival. I usually had 10 to 15 minutes until it was my turn and I had to learn and memorize as if my life was depending on it. Because I was scared shitless about what would happen if I didn't make it. So it wasn't just being highly sensitive or being a synesthete. It was all of the traits from those two in combination with having to fend for my life by memorizing page after page during two years that made my body start to develop selective photographic memory. It all makes sense now. And that survival capacity fell asleep again when she was no longer a threat. But when I was 16, I got my first burnout, so then my survival capacity literally had to kickstart again. It was that or dropping out of school, and the last option felt really unsafe. So my body did what it had to do because it thought that my life was once again depending on how much I can memorize in the shortest amount of time. And that is the story. I got selective photographic memory for my trauma. And that, my friends, is the coolest shit I have ever experienced. It shares the spot with experiencing my trauma download, but yeah. I find it incredibly interesting and fascinating how adaptive the body is and how much that it can develop under the category of survival skills. Of course, I wish that all people would just get to live happy and calm lives. But having to survive stuff really gives us a lot of unexpected cool stuff and abilities. Like this one, for example. I will have so much use for this skill as a doctor or surgeon once I finally get there. Selective photographic memory is as cool as all talents and traits, but it is also limited. I read a lot of medical dissertations and articles because I love biology and stuff like that. And my mind is just like, sure, we will store parts of this information forever and ever. But the thing is that it seems like I have to really enjoy reading about something or being scared shitless while reading it for the selective photographic memory to kick in. So I wish I could use it for my physics course right now, but it seems that I am not scared shitless of physics and I do not really enjoy it, so I am stuck with my normal memory here, which is not really a fan itself. So yeah, it has its limits. Now it's your turn, loves. Take your power back by choosing to focus on the positive stuff today. What have you learned from your traumas and what positive things have come out of having experienced them? Thank you for listening to this episode. Have a great day. Bye!